then before I knew it, they're like, oh, we're going to send you in a helicopter to Melbourne. I was thinking, why does it mean to Melbourne? It's just like a little break, you know? So, turns out, yeah, I obviously broke my C7 in my neck and dislocated my neck a little bit. It was a little bit out of whack and then I broke my T2 to my T7 in my back quite, you know, severely and had to get that all fused up. And so it was basically a rod and screws and they fused it and that put me out for a little bit, but uh, a bit disheartening in that stage. Just I was more upset that I wasn't racing than anything, so yeah. Today's guest started riding motorbikes at the age of two and a half. At the age of eight, she began racing motocross. From 10 years old, she was racing against the boys in A grade, enjoying the challenge and kicking their butts. She's the first Victorian girl to progress to A grade amongst the men, winning many titles along the way. Episode 82, Emma Milesevic. Welcome to One Moment Please, the podcast where our guests take a moment to tell their stories of how they've overcome adversity to achieve success, and you take a moment to tune in to bring on the inspiration. Thanks for joining me, Em. <laughs> I'm excited to have you on. Yeah, I'm really keen for this. I, I interviewed uh, J.O. Archer the other day and it sort of opened up my whole world, my whole, I n- never really knew anything about motocross and I'm still learning. I still don't know very much at all, but it's um, certainly opened up my my mind to a whole new world out there of, of a sport that I had no idea about. And where J.O. Archer's um, one of the best in the world in terms of freestyle motocross, you're not freestyle, is that correct? Yeah, correct. I race motocross and off-road, so a bit different. What is, what is that? So when is it just you on a motorbike hooning around a track trying to beat everybody? <laughs> yeah. Have I just simplified it too? I, I yeah. know it's really dangerous. I hope I haven't simplified that too much. <laughs> no, but, yeah, basically it's like it's, it's a race. Motocross is a race. Uh, we all talk, take off at the start line um, at the same time. And whoever gets finishes first is the winner. For off-roads, it can be a bit different. You can do, like, time trials and it's all on the stopwatch so you don't race anyone but yourself. But whoever gets the quickest time at the end of the day, wins. Uh, but, yeah, basically the fastest person wins. That's what it is. So you do or you don't do the time trials? You're just on a race track? Um, I do both. So I mainly do motocross, which is the start line, start to finish, trying to be, you know, the fastest. Uh, and then the time trial kind of stuff is more enduro, which is in the bush and okay. trees, logs, tight tracks uphills, downhills, all that kind of stuff. And how did you get into it? It's such a random sport to, to get into. How did you get it? Well, for, for me, it's random. I, I mean, I grew up with bloody netball, so, you know, like it's random for me. <laughs> but it definitely so how did you get be. into it? Yeah, so it's definitely different to the average sport you hear about at school. I know no one really knew what motorbikes yeah. were. They just, like, uh, but my dad used to ride bikes when he was younger. So he was always, he was, you know, a motorbike lover since he was like a teenager, you know, he did it all himself, he learned how to, you know, be his own mechanic, everything like that, because his, his dad came from a soccer background, he had no idea about bikes, he didn't, he didn't know what what the go was, and then he got my auntie Olivia into it, uh, so he started taking her around, and she was doing quite good, she ended up being quite a high level, like nationally, she won a state title, got second in a national title, got recruited by Honda. She was a really, really good rider. So he just kind wow. of gave up his career for her. And then um, – Wow. So she was better than him? Uh, well, I think it was a bit different. Like he uh, he was he started a lot 
later age than her. She was able to start when she was about 12, mm-hmm. 13, and he started when he was like 18, 19, 20. So, just, you know, he's lost some vital years there. And I think um, it was a lot easier for him to almost take care of her because he was almost acting as a mechanic and a coach where for himself, he's doing it all himself. It's a bit more complicated. Um, so I think he kind of took on that, you know, as a big brother, almost let's say a fatherly role for her, taking her everywhere. So, and then that's kind of what led into uh, me starting. My brother started when he was really young. He was about two and a half or two, two and a half when he got a bike and I saw him and I went into start. So when I was about two and a half, I started, I hopped on a bike for the first time. So looking back at it now, I, I look at photos and I'm like, damn, I was tiny, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Like, yeah. you think, like that's so crazy, but we we're very, very capable kids at the same time. You know, it wasn't like we couldn't walk or anything. Yeah. We were on push bikes, all this kind of stuff. So it just, naturally came better than pedaling I reckon so <laughs> um <laughs> but, but I'm saying, were they little p like were little peewee 50s or yeah, something like yeah. what were you so I started on a QR50 yeah, okay. which is a Honda like a Honda version peewee's like the Yamaha model I was on a QR so okay. uh yeah little Honda 50 was pretty tiny on some training wheels and then we got rid of those pretty quickly um and yeah went from there I was very very casual for a long time just riding around the paddock having fun like I used to literally when I first started I was so tiny I literally used to ride around a little stack hat and some mittens because there was nothing to fit me like so <laughs> it's just the most ridiculous thing and a pair of gum boots a bright pink pair of gum boots and then um oh that's good yeah it was really cool so that's just how it started casual as anything and never thought anything of it so how did you go from you mentioned a paddock, so I'm assuming that you're in the bush and that's how you sort of got got started. Um, it's a bit more of a, I would say it's a bit more of a country and bush sport rather than city city kids. Yeah. Um, although J.O. said that he was in the city, so that surprised me. Um, so how did it move from you being this little tot on, a, on this tiny little bike with your pink gumboots to being this competitive kick-ass chick on taking on the men because you compete with the men. Yeah, correct, correct. So I honestly kind of just for the first good part of my career all the way, I would say up until 2010 or 11, I was just kind of following my brother's footsteps a bit. So he is a very, very talented rider. From the day he hopped on a bike, he was very, very capable. So I was kind of a bit more mellow, driving his daisy, just having fun. So he started going to the track. And like when he got up a high level of bike, I was like, his bike. Then I just kind of went to the track as well. Like, hey, I want to come with you guys. And from there, like I think in 2007, I did my first state title and I did really well. Like unexpectedly, I got got third and just the C class, the lower class, but I didn't expect that. And then I progressed to the B grade rank and the A grade rank the following year. And at that stage, when I went to A grade in 2010, so I think I was, oh no, sorry, it wasn't 2010. I think 2008 I went to A grade, sorry, I skipped a few years. I was about 10 years old. I went to A grade and I was top five in state in the men's. So it kind of really kicked off there, kind of unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I had a bit of an injury and I actually had two years off with a, fit, a serious femur injury. So that kind of put a big halt to it. And then when I came back, it was a bit slower again. Like just, you know, kind of gradually worked my way into it. And then uh, – it all kind of kicked off for me in 2011 when I won my first state and national title in the same year and got some recognition and kind of a bit of a roll-on effect from there, really. Why are you competing with the men? Is it that there's not enough women in the sport to have their own division? Well, when I first started, there was 
really it was only really me that I knew of like in the in the western region even statewide there's maybe two of us there was really no no women in that stage um so I always just grew up racing with the men I, st- I race with the females now I do both I do the women's nationals and state titles and even regions when I have some time uh but at the end of the day, like, the men are the quickest people on bikes. Like, when you look at the national champion of a female and a male, the males are faster. One, because they've had a bit more experience, more time, more opportunity, more strength. There's a lot of things to it, but they're, they're the highest level. So I try to compete with the highest level of races I can just to better myself because – to me, it's not about um, as a matter of female or male. I just want to be the best I can be. So if the, the best competition on the weekend is with the men's, I'm going to go there. If it's with the women's, I'm going to race the women's, you know. So I usually do both. For one, for a lot of bike time and two, for the competition. How hard is it competing and how are you ranking against the men? Because I would imagine... Well, is I would imagine it's not like chess where you're sitting there and the difference between... It's brain power, not physical. I would imagine that there's a level of physicality when you're manhandling this bike around the track that you have to have that strength which is where the muscle mass would come into it um do you find that you're at a huge disadvantage or it doesn't matter and you're just kicking ass anyway um look at times it could be I work very hard to be on par with the men male strength obviously I'm not quite the same I, I do try but usually in the 250 class which I'm in the men's I won't have massive massive guys it's usually in the 450 class which is like the cc of the motorcycle a motor 250cc uh so it's it's hard and sometimes yes the strength does come into it if you're like you know having a bit of a battle with them and it's really close racing if you knock knock each other a bit you do feel a little bit more like they can kind of push you around a bit more but at the same time you know it is as much mental as it is physical strength you know you have to want it you have to be switched on you have to know what you're doing like I could be you know I could be 100 kilos and deadlifting 300 kilos and not be a fast rider you know like you have to know what you're doing um it's probably a bit different to some other sports like you know for instance a male runner and a female runner is probably a big like a big difference like the physical strength to actually stride that hard where for us there's a lot of male athletes that are tiny and they're the best in the world like they're really like five five three like they're tiny and they're the best motocross racers in the world so it is one of those sports where we are pretty lucky that strength's not always always the main factor it's a lot to do with your technique and your mentality and your want for the sport In terms of your injury, you mentioned that you had a really bad femur injury when you were in your teens, early teens, <clears throat> yeah. now in your early 20s. Yeah. Why Why did you not give up the sport then? Because a lot of people would have gone, oh, this is just like it's a terrible, well, I don't know what the injury was, but it sounded to take it off, take you out of the sport for two years. Sounds pretty serious. Yeah, yeah. So why did you, why did you come back? What made you sort of want to pursue it? still well I was actually only 10 at the time so it was in 2008 I was 10 years old I was very very young um it was hard I I just loved the sport and it's kind of all like I knew a lot of other things like I was quite good in school but it's all I wanted to do and all I kind of knew in a way like it was what I was driven for and at that time I started paying a lot of attention to the world team for women's and I just kind of started breaking through a bit in the men's divisions like in the A class it was, there was never I was the first girl in Victoria to ever go to A grade even in Australia there's no other A level women so uh 
I think I started making some strides there and obviously it took a lot of time out with the nature of the break I had to have the plate and the 11 screws put in my femur and being that young that I had to let it fully heal and then wow. and then take yeah, the plate out. Yeah I was surprised out. that they put a plate in. Yeah just because it broke uh, it broke the femur in half obviously across and then it spiraled from my knee to my hips it was a very very complicated break um, I couldn't just put a rod or something in it and with having a plate in there obviously didn't want me to race with that in because it was a bit dangerous if you know you had a bit of an accident or an impact so I had to basically get the plate in let it heal then take the plate out and then let that heal then get the strength up and then ride again so it ended up being about two years so how long after them putting the plate in did you have the plate taken out I'm gonna say at least a year I really it's a bit of a blurred time when I was so I was so young but I reckon it was at least a year or so the whole process because I was in hospital for I reckon three weeks nearly so um it was pretty complicated so were they concerned about at that age for women like for girls we like there's a lot of growth in that time were they concerned that it was going to affect your growth in that one leg if you Um, you walk in a circle now Emma because you've got one leg shorter (laughs) than the other uh, no, I'm not even aware. I think it's slightly out, but I don't think I go. I do. I have a bit of a, a strut, maybe, like um, a bit clumsy, but uh, I don't but know. The strut's not. The strut's like the strut's awesome. I don't. I like to pay attention. I don't even thought about that. I think you know if you're walking in a circle. True. True. That that is true. Dad used to. Dad used to tell me when whenever we drove past sheep on a hill he used to always tell me that they had to stay the same facing way because if they turned the other way they'd fall down the hill because they had one set of legs shorter than the other oh my. <laughs> and i believed him oh that is so I funny was only little that's so Such funny Such a gullible kid <laughs> anyway we digress um <laughs> um sorry i loved laughing at my own jokes um so so yeah, really serious break. Let's get back to the serious business of you being you being awesome. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, that's a really serious injury to want to come back from. Where was your mum in all of this? Obviously, your dad and your brother got you into the sport. Was there a, a maternal influence going? Don't like maybe you shouldn't go and do this. This is dangerous. Uh, I think probably obviously she's always worried. Both of them always worried. She shows a bit more than yeah. dad does, just being you know the way they are. But yeah. she actually, when they first got together, when they were like flashbacked when he was younger, helping my auntie, they got they were just newly together and engaged. So he, she actually travelled with him to the nationals, helping with my auntie. So she kind of had a bit of an idea of the sport before I was even into the sport, you know. She never wrote, rode or raced. I think she rode a little bit with him on the back. But uh, she was a little bit, you know, into the scene. She kind of had a bit of an idea and obviously saw some of the injuries my family, other family members had over the time, kind of had an idea of the nature of the sport. Uh, so I think, you know, looking back, she obviously – would have been scared a bit but not always showing it, knowing to, you know, make me more scared or, you know, if it's a bit of a painful situation, if you're worried all the time, it can make the pain a bit worse and the process a bit worse, you know. And so uh, I think she was a little bit more frightened than what she made it appear but she also could see, I think, you know, looking back, how determined I was and how passionate I was. So, you know, she probably didn't want to, 
knock that back too much. I've had it, you know, when I hurt my back and stuff, that was a bit of a difficult one for her. She wasn't too sure if she wanted me to ride again. Hang on, Emma. You just glossed over the hurt you back. You broke your back. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to get to that. I love you. Oh, yeah, I hurt my back. Jesus Christ, you broke your freaking back. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> Jesus, how did that happen? That was uh, actually an accident at a state, uh, actually, no, uh, regional level race. Uh, I was in the men's race. I was out front and someone went, didn't follow the course the way they should have and went straight and hit me. And, uh, yeah, I fell kind of, I wouldn't say head first. I kind of tucked as I was falling. I kind of went over the handlebars and kind of crunched my neck and my back. So kind of, you know, broke the bottom of my neck and the thoracic area of my back the top of my back so I actually didn't know I broke my back at the time I was kind of just wanting to walk it off shake it off and keep going like I just didn't feel that bad but then when I they kind of laid me down it was really really cold that day I remember still so vividly they put me on like a a metal spine board usually like plastic or something but there's this metal one it was ice cold and as soon as I hit that just like I could feel like something wasn't right. Like the pain started shooting through. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how that happened. So, yeah. So, hang on a minute. You got up to walk and they stopped you and then put you on the spinal? Yeah, because I kind of, I think the way it happened, I kind of almost bounced to my feet a little bit from memory. And then I was kind of like, oh, okay, like I think I'm all right. And then they kind of, you know, tried to keep me a bit still for a bit. They're like, oh, that was a bit of a big crash. We should check it out. And I just kind of said, oh, my back's a little bit achy from it. And then they obviously put me on the spine board and it escalated a little bit from there. And before I knew I was in, in hospital and, uh, you know, when I first went to the Horsham Hospital, they were like, oh, we think you might have, like, broken your back a little bit, like maybe one. I was like, oh, because I had nationals coming up in, I think, three or four weeks' time and I was leading the national series at the time. I was thinking, oh, if it's just like a little chip, I'll be fine for a few, in a few weeks. It's just like, you know, a little bit of a chip off the side of the vertebrae. That's nothing much, you know. It's not really impacting the structure. And then before I knew it, they like, oh, we're going to send you in a helicopter to Melbourne. I was thinking, why are they sending me to Melbourne? If it's just like a little break, you know. So turns out, yeah, I obviously broke my C7 in my neck and dislocated my neck a little. It was a little bit out of whack. And then I broke my T2 to my T7 in my back quite, you know, severely and had to get that all fused up. And so it was basically a rod and screws and they fused it and that put me out for a little bit. But a uh, bit disheartening in that stage, just I was more upset that I wasn't racing than anything. So, yeah. So how many vertebrae did you break two? No, uh, no. so I broke one in my neck and t- my T2 to my T7, so another five there, so six. Holy cannoli. <laughs> so you literally, like, half your, half your back is rod and screws. Yeah, so I got, like, a bit of a scar from, like, the top, like, the base of my neck to about the midway of my back just from where they screwed it uh but it doesn't affect me honestly they said it might you know come like you know with the recovery process but it's honestly been quite good um I think having the physical fitness and strength I had going into the injury they said it helped me a lot like my body didn't deteriorate as much as someone else because I had a lot of muscle holding my back in and things like that so it was actually quite a quick process they said it was going to take 12 months and I was back on the bike in six and I wasn't even rushing I just got fine and they said yeah you can go for it you're healed so yeah 
Wow. Mm. So did you have to learn how to walk again or anything or is it just like no you make it sound like they whack some hardware in your spine and then you're just up the next day (laughs) no no so I didn't lose feeling on my legs or anything like that like that was all good the whole time I didn't you know um get pat in any paralytic kind of situations uh I was in hospital I reckon it was at least a week I'm trying to remember now it's kind of a bit of a blur it's a long been a few years back in 2015 so uh, I think I was in hospital for a bit and I had a neck brace on. So I had a neck brace on for six weeks, nothing on my back because I had the, the rods and stuff. But it wasn't so much learning to walk. It was more sitting you up after you've been laying down for so long and then making sure you're okay, not too dizzy. Okay, you can walk like from here to the bathroom today and tomorrow you can walk, you know, to the foyer. Then when you can do a lap of the um foyer or the um what do they call it the level uh, the, the floor, ward, hotel, the ward. The hospital floor yeah the ward you're yeah. in then you can go home so it wasn't so much of a learning to walk like my body wasn't functioning it was more like a you know being laying down and the trauma that had happened your body kind of okay we're gonna go get up now like it it was fine it wasn't painful it was just more you get you just get really tired really quickly when your body's been through something like that because all its strength and power is going into healing you and, okay, like, you know, protecting your back. So you feel really weak after it. So, but it was honestly not the worst from what I remember. Like, you know, they obviously give me medication after the injury and stuff like that. And I was off all that kind of stuff. I think within a, under a week of my surgery, like I'm not – yeah, I'm not big on medication. Like, I like to do as natural as possible. And for me, like, sleep is the best thing for my recovery. Like, I sleep and sleep and sleep if I have ever an injury and I recover so much quicker than what they usually think I will. And they're like, how do you do it? And I was like, I just sleep. I just let my body do what it needs to do kind of thing. So, mm. yeah. How, in terms of the recoveries and so forth, how do you maintain, is it a natural mindset that you just want to keep going and be the best or is it a is it a conscious um thought process and mindset that you have to put into overcoming those hurdles and and wanting to be the best is that a conscious thing or is it just naturally inbuilt in you I think it can be a bit of both honestly uh most of the time it's a natural thing like I just want to get back on like I just need I want to do this I love this other times you know if it's a bit of a situation that's got you really down or an injury like I've had injuries that haven't been my own doing people you know I've had other riders hit me and take me out and then I've got severely injured from it and that's kind of the ones like man like not why do I do this but like why is this happening that can be the ones that bum you out a little bit but I think it's a mixture of a conscious effort and a belief that this is what I do and this is my life now. Like, I honestly love it. And I'm in such a – I always remind myself I'm in such a lucky position. Like, I wouldn't say lucky, but just such a an amazing position. Like, I worked so hard for it. And, you know, I'm one of the first factory female riders that Australia's ever had, like one of the first, fem- like, full-time females. And that's just been from my dedication and not giving up. Like, if I had given up all those times that I crashed, like – I'd just be working, who knows, like, probably hating hating my job. Like, I know I worked in retail for a little while, like, while I couldn't afford to race, like, you know, just off racing. I 
couldn't think of anything worse. Like, not for me. Like, it's just, like, I, I love being around people. Like, I, I do coaching with kids, but just, like, man, I, all, all, all the time I was thinking, I just want to be training, I just want to be riding. Like, how do I make this? Like, my whole goal, like, since I was a kid, like, how do I get to ride bikes for a living? How do I get to do this all the time? Like, that's my one drive. You're in your early 20s. When you come across other people that aren't, how do I phrase this? Um, I suppose I'm, I'm interested in terms of your mindset and how much you recognize the difference between your mindset to others the same age, either inside the sport or outside the sport. Do you, do you notice a difference? Yeah, definitely. Like I think the sport helped me a lot. Like, you know, those teen years, like a lot of people like go through a lot of struggle either like with I don't know, getting into the wrong crowds, doing things they shouldn't, not knowing where they should be, where I've kind of always had this drive and knowing, like, my path, like, not because someone's told me, it's just, like, I know I want to do this. And it's made it really easy for me, I said, I'd say at times, like, to avoid those social situations, let's say, like, even getting to any mischief because I'm, like, no, that's going to compromise what I love. Like, why would I do that? Like, but, you know, it is um, definitely different, like, you know, people look at me like sometimes you're crazy or something because, you know, coming back from my injuries and stuff like that, like they don't know how you do it. But like once you've done it for so long, you don't know anything else. But um, I think it's definitely taught, taught me a lot of resilience and how to kind of get what you want, like the best out of every situation where it can sometimes lack from people who haven't had those opportunities in life. Like they've just kind of gone through school and just, you know, if, things get hard sometimes I've known some people like you know they kind of just back down because they they don't they don't back themselves I think that's the biggest thing I've learned to back myself Mm. in the in obviously I'm you know I'm I'm, let's say a modest and humble way but just knowing your worth and knowing your own capabilities is the biggest thing I've learned from sport and you know it is difficult sometimes looking at people my age seeing them with their houses and stuff like that, like, oh, I could have a house if I wasn't, you know, racing and this and that, but at the same time, I get to live the life I want every day, and those people have to go, you know, they don't necessarily love what they do, a lot of them, like, I, you know, thinking of my friends that I have, and, you know, they, they have to go on a holiday, you know, once or twice a year to get get away from it, but I, I get to do a love and travel Australia every single week, like, you know, I'm on the road so much, I get to see so much all the time, like, it's a really... I'm really blessed to do what I do. So it's definitely a, a, a lot of differences. Um, it's, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> I think you're in a very, <clears throat> very fortunate position to recognise at such an early age that there's more to life than what society expects you to do, which is have the house and a mortgage and a job and, and the nine to five and the keeping up with the Joneses. And I think that the fact that you've realised that in your early 20s is such a gift yeah. that your life experience and the memories are more important than the other thing. The other thing will come yeah. like that. That will come if it comes, but it's not the most important thing in the world. It's taken me a really long time to get there. Um, so I think it's a huge gift that you've got. You're already there in your early 20s, so... Yeah, well, you know, I take my hat off to you. But I thanks. I do appreciate that, and it's um, 
I think it's honestly kind of come from my upbringing as a fam, like with my family, like we were, we couldn't afford to go racing if our dad wasn't our mechanic, like with the amount of work that needed to be done on that, both my brother's bike and I, my bike, uh, if he was working, we wouldn't be able to afford it. So he, he didn't work for quite some time and he's, you know, he's just, even now he's my full-time mechanic, especially with the way women's racing is. Like there's not that support. So we're living off my mum's one wage. So, you know, we always had more than enough. We always had our bikes and everything, but we, you know, lived on a budget and I, and I still live that way. And I think, you know, it can seem like a sacrifice to a lot of people, but it gets you a, a lot more in life than you think. Like even, you know, not – not being held down by those, you know, materialistic things or having to have this or having to have that, you know. I think the biggest life thing in life is chasing your passion and doing it with great people around you, honestly. Like, and that's why I've been so blessed to have. Like, I have such a good family around me and it makes such a difference because I never feel like I'm missing out. And, you know, I feel so full with what I'm doing in life. Like, I might, like my heart's so full every day because – I'm doing what I love with the people I love and, you know, a lot of people don't get to experience that and, um, yeah, I I kind of recognise that pretty, I guess, early in life because, uh, you know, I always make a point of reflecting on what I'm doing, especially, you know, we come from, you know, a faith-based, our family and we're always, you know, so grateful for what we have. So it's um, in some ways made it a bit easy for me because that's just, just what I know. So, yeah. Do you, did your parents ever try to um, guide you in a way that wasn't through the sport? Did they ever sort of say, well, you should be focusing on your academia and trying to go to uni and, you know, whatever, or was it always just follow your dreams? Um, no, I did go to uni for a little bit actually. Like I know because when I first went seniors, um, let's say when I first went pro, there wasn't really anything for women. There's no, there was no money in the sport at all, and it's just kind of started kicking off mm. this last year or so. So they're like, you need to have a job, you need to, you know, have something. You need to have a plan B because like once you're racing done, life starts. Kind of thing. Mm. That's how it always was. Like you kind of race for a few years and you finish up and go to, go work. So I mm. I did go to school like uni. I was studying sports science for a year, and I just honestly just didn't love it. Like it's in. I love learning about the body and stuff, but it's just not what I wanted to do and as I said earlier like about work I struggled so hard being in uni and just knowing like I could be training full-time I I want to be racing that's just 100% what I want to do and so it was a bit difficult like like dad um he's all about racing he was just like yeah kind of like he obviously wants me to work and stuff he's like that's what you want to do you want to do mum mum was more a little bit concerned for me like what are you going to do after this uh so, and then I ended up going actually to Europe for a year with dad racing. So that's kind of, I had to stop uni anyway for that because I couldn't do it abroad because I had to do placement and stuff like that. Um, so it was, it was like a little push for a little while. Like I did obviously all my VCE and everything like that. But I think once I kind of saw how passionate I was about it and that I was kind of going to do whatever it took to be a full-time racer, athlete, um they kind of started stepping way back like away from that because they could see that I was trying to make my own path and now it's you know I've kind of 
made my own path and made a bit of pathway for other female athletes where it's actually a, you know a career now and they're starting to see it pay off and it still shocks us all like when we have you know meetings with my parents and you know talking to my they know everything I do I I still live at home so I feel I mean about my meetings deals everything and it still shocks them like oh you can you're actually getting something for that now like you're actually getting paid and it's almost like a shock it's actually starting to pay off so it's really cool seeing it go full circle from them panic about my education a little bit and what I'm going to do to like hey this is actually a profession now like so it's, it's been cool in that way it's um it's been good to see I'm glad it's paid off because <laughs> I was betting on myself pretty hard <laughs> But, you know, yeah, but, you know, good on you for, for taking that bet, particularly considering the money wasn't there in the first place and you really did follow that that dream and good on for them in terms of stepping back and saying, okay, we're just going to allow you to, to do this. I, I think it's very difficult. I'm not a parent, but I think and I see it a lot that parents try to push and coerce in regards to what they feel they the kids should do rather than it's their kid's life, just let them do whatever they wanted, particularly in your 20s. I mean, you know, geez. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. So good on you for having the for having that insight into 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 what you really wanted and going for it. What do you think's changed now in terms of the sport? I know you've got sponsors on board now, which is fantastic, but what's shifted to to bring that sponsorship and the money into the sport where you can have a career now? Uh, for me, honestly, it's I've become more of a well-rounded athlete. Let's say, like I've. Uh, being a female athlete, it's not as easy to get the same deals as the men. So I've gone out and done a lot of things to kind of, let's say, boost my profile and what I have to offer for sponsors. Because the biggest thing at the end of the day is like, you know, when you're on a team or you're sponsored, that basically you're marketing for them. What can I get out of you? What sales can we get out of this person? So now I do like coaching. I'm like, I got into coaching just casually initially just because you know I needed fun racing and I honestly really enjoyed it just added like a little girl's mom say hey you want to help my daughter out a bit and I was like yeah this is cool and I got into it after that so I have my own coaching business now and we're doing like we specialize in obviously women's coaching a lot of junior coaching that's really kicked off so that's a you know it's something I love to do and it's also massive marketing for a lot of brands because they are the future so like you know the people I'm coaching um the students I have so you know if I guess businesses see that as a big opportunity especially with the way I'm approaching um my programs and what I can offer the kids it's never been done in motocross and trying to you know boost the sport as much as possible so I do yeah a lot of marketing stuff you know for Honda I've done like a lot of uh events and everything like that and I, I think I'm kind of always down for anything to do with motorbikes like I do road days I've been on tv shows I've done stunt double work and it's really kind of I guess boosting my wow. it's my boost my profile because you know um there is a lot of uh, I'm not just a motocross rider I'm so much more now um and it's been really cool it's uh and I think that's really helped me I think that you know it kind of stumbled I kind of stumbled into it just being my nature I love helping people and I love being friendly and I love talking to everyone and finally that's paid off my loving to chat and be friendly because you know it's um great marketing I guess so yeah so you're really coming at it in regards to rather than they're just coming on board because I'm awesome you're really actively working at giving the brands back 
in regards to them incentivizing them to to be with you, which is awesome. How many women are in the motocross sport now? I I wouldn't know the exact number, but I know it's grown a lot. So we at our national series this year, we had about thirty girls at every round. We usually like ten or fifteen, uh, but there's obviously a lot of regional and state level, and obviously all different states around Australia. So I don't have the exact stats, but it's grown a lot. Like considering when I first started, there were no girls. Now there's a lot of junior girls mm. and a lot of senior girls to the point where we could honestly probably have an, a women's only event. And that's something I'm actually looking into with my my uh, management team and stuff like that. Like we do a lot of women's coaching days so I actually want to say, hey, girls, you can have your own race meeting. Like we're trying to do these kind of things to boost it because there's a lot of girls out there that ride and, you know, the classic female thing that they're not confident, they don't think they're good enough and usually they're honestly always like killer, so talented and they're so capable and so strong and fearless but they, we, we doubt ourselves so much. So there's a lot of girls out mm. there that just kind of have to come out of the woodworks and that's kind of my job at the moment, like apart from racing. I, I want to know who's out there. I want to, you know, know these talented girls and their stories and stuff like that. So uh, I'll get back to you on that number. Hopefully next year I'll have a very accurate accurate number for you. <laughs> are there any others that are racing with the men like you are? Uh, yeah, quite a few do, like, um, in juniors, like, you know, it's a bit more casual, like, you know, the young girls, uh, they don't have a junior class until they're probably about 13 or 14, so they, you know, when they're on a 50 and a 65, so anywhere from 7 to obviously 13 or, or 12 possibly, they uh, just race with the boys, which is, which is fine, I think, like, they're just hanging out with their buddies kind of thing, it's really cool, um, but in seniors, yeah, a lot of the top girls do choose to ride with the men's. Like, the, you know, at national level riders, we do do the men's expert class as well. So you sort of paved the way, really, in regards to other women competing against the men because you were doing it because there was no one else in the sport. Yes, but I would definitely say for Victoria, yeah. Um, obviously in other states, I'd don't know the states as well, like, you know, Queensland and stuff. But I think it's one of those things that's why I see you're doing it. They want to start doing it. And, you know, most girls that get into riding and racing from a young age, they don't really care about, you know, riding with boys. Usually they start riding with their brothers or their dads, so it doesn't really faze them too much. It's, um, I think, more for women who are just getting started at a bit of an older age, it's a bit more intimidating. So, yeah, it kind of mm. depends on what stage they come into the sport and stuff like that. And also that they've had brothers or, you know, there's a lot of factors that come into it really. Are you coming off an injury at the moment? Uh, yeah, I actually am. I, uh, at state uh, state round at the, I'm going to say start of August, I actually had, was in the males, male race, the males expert race. I got a whole shot, which just means I got to the first corner first. Like I, I got off the start the quickest. And one of the male competitors cut the track and hit me, like hit, uh, collided with me and it threw me off my bike onto my right shoulder. And yeah, I dislocated my right shoulder and broke the top of my humerus. Like I broke a chunk off and it kind of shattered into like seven pieces. So it was a bit of a complicated break. Um, but uh, five weeks after I was 
back on the bike at nationals as a struggle because I had no strength, but um, I'm pretty good now. <laughs> I, I seem to detect a common theme of these men taking you out on the ra- on the track. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't want the competition. They're taking you out left, right, and centre. Yeah, it's a bit like that. <laughs> how do you go? Like, how does how does your mum or I don't know if you if you've got a partner, if you're travelling with a partner, but you've got a lot of travel in in your um sport how do you sort of go being so far away from your mum because if she's the main breadwinner then of the family if your dad's traveling with you as a mechanic um being away from her and then also like from a relationship point of view because I would not want my partner being in a dangerous sport like this because you (laughs) get taken out and you're in bloody hospital every second freaking weekend (laughs) (laughs) well with my mum and I, we're very close. I always FaceTime her, let her know I'm going. Like we're, thank God for yeah. FaceTime, we're going to sleep. You know, we had to talk so much yeah. all the time. I say, hey, look where I am, look what I'm eating, like this and that. So that's Imagine pretty Imagine if you were at letter stage. Pardon? Having to write a letter home. Oh, I know, like in, letters. Having to write a letter home like in oh, the olden days. That would be terrible. <laughs> I couldn't imagine. Well, I'm, I'm old enough that I remember pre-mobile phones, so, you know. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I'd probably get lost that much these days. Um, Google, Google Maps saves me a bit. I watched um, I watched a, oh, it was on an ABC or SBS or something and they were doing teenagers with older people and one of the exercises was how to use a, I don't know, do you know what a Melways is? Yeah, like yeah I can actually use on one of those. I used to yeah. use them all the time. Oh, <laughs> so it was like how to use a Melways and I'm like I grew up as a as a learner and a pee plate, like you'd get lost and have to f- stop, pull over and flip over a, a Melways and now it's all Google Maps but all the, all the teenagers are really struggling. <laughs> Gee, it made me feel old. <laughs> It's but fun. you mentioned the Google Maps, so just you know, they brought it back. But anyway, so um, but yeah, it's yeah, so it's good. Facetiming your mum is good. Yeah, and I'm the same. I do have a partner, and he actually races professionally as well. He races enduro, which is the the bush style racing. Um, so we're we're talk a lot on FaceTime and stuff like that but it's kind of makes it a bit easier because um as hard as it is being away from each other because he races and I race and it's not always on the same weekends we you know often miss each other kind of thing like as in I'll be home and he's not and that kind of thing but we have the gen you know the mutual understanding of what it actually takes to be you know successful in the sport and you know if one's a bit down or one's a bit struggling or anything like that we can help each other quite a lot and you know and the when we are occasionally in hospital, a lot of it's like thankfully it's not too much so we can be each other's Ubers. So, yeah. Oh, so he's in hospital a lot too? No, not Jesus really. Christ, <laughs> you're all bloody crazy. <laughs> well, I'm good crazy. You're following your dreams. That's the main thing. <laughs> it's honestly not that much. I think people think it's more than it is. It's like, you know, it's my first. I don't know. You've explained that you're Robo Woman. So, you know. <laughs> oh, this is like my first injury and like. Three years, I'm gonna say. So it's not too bad. <laughs> I'm just imagining you being held together by a few nuts and screws and bolts, and you know, or, you name it. Nah, nah. <laughs> all these, all these injuries. <laughs> Bit of duct tape. <laughs> Bit of duct tape. <laughs> oh goodness. Oh goodness. Um. 
Oh, I now bloody well forgot what I was going to do. My next question was going to be. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> you threw me with the bloody duct tape. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jinkies. How did you end up, obviously with your partner being in the sport, does he worry him more? Because you mentioned that he understands it in terms of what it takes, but does he worry more because he understands how dangerous it is? Uh, no, I wouldn't say so. I'd say like someone like my mum would worry more because she understands it a bit but not fully. Where he understands it fully, he knows like, okay, this is what would have happened here or, you know, we can kind of talk through what happened and usually kind of assess the situation, which are kind of, is good on both parts because he knows what happened and also, you know, I found with injuries or accidents, if you can assess the situation and what happened, there's a lot less fear involved because, okay, actually I know what happened, I can just change this next time. Where if you, like, I have no idea what just happened. It's a bit, a bit frightening. So uh, I think at times he would, he's probably a bit more nervous than he shows, especially like when I'm doing desert raising and stuff and he knows exactly how fast he goes when he's doing like, you know, when we're in the desert and the, the nature of the conditions and, you know, wildlife and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I think there's a mixture of being nervous and also respect for the other half and what they do to know exactly how challenging it can be. So uh, it, mm. it's... Um, it's quite a special relationship, honestly. Like a lot of people don't date each other if they're racing because it's quite difficult to manage for them. But for us, it's been one of the best things about our relationship. Just, you know, we've kind of both been in the same struggle at the same time, like, you know, both struggling with contracts initially and both started growing kind of in the sport at the same time, which has really been cool for us. Not like one of us is, you know, really successful and, exactly where they need to be and other ones just newcomer we've both been you know growing in success at the same time which has made it pretty special and um you know very relatable <laughs> i'll get you to, to sit forward a little bit and just so you're closer to the microphone yep um thanks honey <laughs> um in terms of where you would like to the sport to go at the moment where would that be? Because you're doing the these, you're doing the the. I don't know. Would you call it camps or training? Like you you coaching the little kids yeah. up and coming and stuff like that. You're working really really strongly with the women coming into the sport. Where would you like it to go? Honestly, I would just like you know the women's national series as a senior. I would like that to be on par with the men's, the same amount of rounds. So when girls are stepping out of the junior ranks, like junior ranks is fairly similar to the men's, like like boy juniors and girl juniors similar races state level and everything like that regions they don't have the women's classes but it's all pretty on par with the amount of racing they do it's when you get to seniors we only have three rounds of national set of eight or nine or ten depends on the year how much they have so i would love it to be on the same level so when girls go to seniors and they decide they want this to be their profession, they have the exact same opportunity. And when they're getting signed by manufacturers, they have the same pay, they have, like and everything like that. Because right now, some of the struggles we have with contracts is okay. You want a professional full time, but you're doing, you know, a third or half the amount of racing the men's are doing nationally. So from a value point of view, for instance, we're going to pay you, let's say, five thousand dollars per round as a sign-on fee, like an appearance fee, really you're only going to get 15000 instead of 45000 things like that. So it kind of makes it hard to make you full-time because 
you haven't got the same appearance money let's say like you haven't got this you're not there the same amount so you know we're trying to at the moment work on okay we're not doing the same amount of nationals but we'll fill in the calendar with these other big events that can kind of make up for it a little bit so I'd like it to be not having to make up for it I would like to okay wherever the men's are the women's are that's that's if this is a national series for Australia mm. we are at the national series for Australia um so that that would be that'd be cool because there's not many brands that have a factory female, just Yamaha and Honda at this stage. Uh, I would love every brand to be able to have that, and I think that's what's holding them back is that same that value trying to push the you know the brand like the management trying to push that brand like okay this is the value of having women. So it's it's getting there slowly. It's um I think next year will be mm. a big step. I think there'll be a lot more brands with females after this year, how successful this year was and you know how social media these days and um you know that makes it a bit easier for brands. It's not just your results, it's about who you are, what you do, who you can reach, you know, with your 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 socials. So that's what I would like to see, just full time. Full time female races would be awesome. <laughs> How much have you had to resist going into the glamour side of the sport to get the sponsors? Because you haven't. I've noticed that your social media, you're not doing that. Um, uh, it's never kind of been my nature. I've always kind of had the thought process. I wanted people to know me because I'm a racer, not be like, oh, she's a model mm. that rides bikes or something. I've always wanted people to know yeah. me for who I am. And honestly, I'm not a glamour person. I could not do makeup to save my life, to be honest. Like, I'm just not that <laughs> – I'm honestly just not that person. Maybe it's because I grew up in the dirt. Oh, no, there's a reason. There's a reason why there's no video component <laughs> to this podcast. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's, I'm uh, right with you, sister. I'm like, right with you. Yeah. So maybe because this wasn't up my alley, it just never something that. Really. Yeah, it just never kind of. Yeah. You know, as at times where you know, showing your figure and stuff, but I like to keep it as modest as possible. Um, obviously, it can be difficult with certain mm. brand partnerships and stuff like that. They want you to promote this kind Have of. Have you product. been asked? Uh by. Have you been asked to sit on a motorbike in a bikini? No, thank God. No, I think it's because yeah. like it's um they know how serious I'm about the sport. It's more those kind of shoots a a yeah. model who doesn't know anything about bikes or a you know guy usually hires a girl mm. in to make their bike look good kind of that kind of ordeal. But yeah. uh you know I think the hardest thing is with marketing if you get sponsored by like an underwear company trying to market it tastefully and not lose who you are and what you do. You know, that kind of thing. It can be very difficult mm. with marketing these days. Um, but, yeah, this, uh, I think I just try to say it's authentic. And I biggest thing for me, I remember my crowd. Most of my crowd is, you know, a lot a lot of males, obviously, because motorbikes predominantly males ride them. And a lot of younger people who I come to me for coaching and look up to me and young girls. So I'm not going to lead them down a path. I don't want to be leading them down a path that I think they have to show that. I want them to show who they are, their personality, their great, you know, their wisdom, their 100%. knowledge, their courage, their, you know, the, what they do, their skills. Like that's the biggest thing that's going to get them anything they want in life. You know, you obviously showing off you can get certain things, but, you know, have, to have a wholesome lifestyle, you know, if you are who you are, that's going to be the biggest thing. Is that your faith coming into it or is that 
as well as your seriousness in regards to the sport or is it just I want to be taken seriously as an athlete? I think a bit of both. I definitely want to be taken seriously and I think that's one of one of my passions since I was a young girl because, you know, oh, you're just a girl rider or this or that or girls aren't as good as boys. I was like, no, I'm as good as them. Like, I'll, I'll show uh, you. Yeah, that's why like, they're taking you out, Em. That's why they're taking you out. You're scared. <laughs> you know, the fire, little firecrackers come out. I was like, you know, I was never like rude or anything as a child. Like I was very, very polite, but I was a little bit of a firecracker when it came to sport, you know. I didn't want, you know, da- you know dad. Very competitive. Yeah, and my dad was always, you know, like, doesn't matter why can't you do the exact same as them like I don't care if they're a boy why can't you like you can do that and I've always kind of had like no you're not any better than me I can do that and I've kind of been really lucky to have that upbringing because I don't see it any differently and it's yeah I think followed through to being a little bit you know fiery in a in a modest way (laughs) as modest as possible (laughs) well I think with I think it's, I think it's very different as a woman if you are a forthright individual. I'm, I am very forthright, and <clears throat> I think men can get away with saying things that we can't, and we're automatically labelled, you're labelled as a bitch or difficult. Whereas women, men's just um, determined or headstrong or, um, you know, showing leadership. Whereas we've got to come around things in a different way, which is infuriating but that's another another conversation <laughs> for another day yeah yeah how's talk about conversations how have you how's the conversations gone when you've seen these guys that have taken you out and caused these injuries do you ever sort of say hey mate i honestly like i've never been one for conflict as much as i like thought to myself in my head like i'm gonna say something so bad to them as kind of like so what oh. do you do to stand there and give them a greasy eyeball <laughs> Yeah, kind of. <laughs> so, <Damn. laughs> I don't know what to say to them without getting in an argument. Punch them in the, <laughs> well, I don't get in the argument. I, I'm not saying that you need to get physical. There doesn't need to be, you know, any punches thrown. But, but you know, at least I'd be like, dude, you know, you took me out for a year. Well, the hard thing, whatever, yeah. That, six months. Yeah, that's the hard thing. Like I, I never know what to say. And also, like Dad's always said, just let you ride and do the talking. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to get better and hopefully then I get so fast. Like, Your dad even... says that. Yeah, just let you ride and do the talking, you know, like just because we've never been one, we've never been a family for conflict and stuff. So, and even my mum, like she's like, oh, I'll say this. She's like, actually, don't say that. Don't do that. Like, like don't, don't cause any trouble. Oh, <laughs> like, she's she's gorgeous. So, um, so you know, the, the best way – um, you know, we say to kill them with kindness and, you know, just be better. Like, you know, nothing would make them more angry if they took you out because they wanted to beat you and then you come back even faster and they, they couldn't even take you out because they couldn't keep up with you, you know. That would actually put daggers yeah. through their heart, you know. Like, so, um, <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> bit, 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 uh, strong that one but love it i love it no no let the daggers fly Em. let it fly yeah i love it do you see any ability to expand you yourself as a brand outside of the sport uh yeah for sure so i've actually you know i'm kind of started in my stunt doubling career a little bit I think that'd be really cool like because it's a very rare thing to have a 
I didn't realize, but have a stunt woman that can ride a motorcycle. And it's actually becoming more recruited. I absolutely love it. It's actually really fun, bit different. Oh, that's good. Like, yeah, it was. I'm shaking my head though because I'm just thinking of the hospital visits. But anyway, no, no, it's more like literally just riding a bike on a road, or like people actually don't can't ride a bike. And like, okay, this actor needs to ride a bike just down the road. And like, I had to. I did a commercial for a brand the other day and it's not going to be released for like another year but they literally shot a dust cannon at me and I'm up like uh I had to like almost ride through a cloud of dust for this scene and they literally shot a cannon of dust at me and I'm oh, thinking cool, it was man, really cool. cool and I was, I was nervous like nervous at the start I'm like is this gonna hurt like is it but then I'm like oh, I ride through dust all the time like I wasn't sure if it was like, gonna be rocks coming out I didn't know what to think but um I just didn't close my mouth enough. did so you ask them yeah I did how big are these boulders <laughs> yeah it was no boulders just <laughs> dust but I kind of was like when I wrote past, I was like, oh, I closed my eyes and I'm like, oh, it was okay. It was okay. <laughs> you know, I had a massive dirt Is everywhere. Is that something you'd like to proceed, to proceed with? Yeah, oh, yeah. Would you like to sort of do that more, Hollywood? Yeah, I think that'd be fun. Like, you know, I love riding bikes. If I could ride a bike for people, that, that'd be cool. Like, I don't think I'd be doing jumping off, like, buildings or front flips or anything. Like, you know, like, you know, karate or I'm too clumsy for that stuff oh yeah Jaya can do the front flips on the bikes I would love to be I said if there's ever another Charlie's Angels let me know I would love to do that I would love to do that motorbike scene (laughs) where I think there's a great opportunity are you going and speaking to young girls at schools uh not yet but it's something I'd love to do I would honestly love to do because I remember having you should do it you should totally do it I think if you got into a lot of the um independent private girl schools mm. as well they would love you I would honestly it's something I've thought about being educated at a private yeah ed- girl school <laughs> yeah true I can say I came from a public school so I'm actually not sure but like that would actually is a really good like I know we got Loretto here in Ballarat uh which is an all-girls school but I've, I know I thought about it a while ago when I was kind of you know, started by coaching because of thinking I got something I can offer. But I'd actually have to talk to the schools about what they want. Like they told me to come and chat or is it like more of a, a program they want me to deliver? Like, okay, like, you know, have a bit of structure. I think even if you just went and had a conversation, even a conversation, like if you just went to their assembly and had a conversation with them or a certain school or, or whatnot, I mean, there's stacks of them. Yeah, true. You could just do a little speaking tour, even just Melbourne. That's true. I would, I would honestly love that. Like that, that would be really cool. And I think it would tie in well with what I'm doing with coaching and, you know, building girls up. Like, you know, I would love for these girls that, you know, go to an all girls school to chat to them. If they want to have a go at riding, we can organize an excursion for that school to come to a track, see me ride, have a go on some demo bikes. If they want to get into it, then they can like, you know, kind of teach them some life skills from it. I think that'd like, it'd be like a really cool program. What's your daily um, program like in terms of your routine? Because Jay was talking like crazy, crazy town. He's up at four o'clock in the morning, you know, like that's just, that's just craziness. That's what works for him. And I'm, I'm an elite athlete. So maybe I should be getting up at 4am in the morning. I would be doing a lot more of my day, but I like my sleep. Em. So yeah, what's too. your day look like? I like to get nine hours of sleep. So, um, I usually get up yeah. about six, then you know, get up depending on the day, what I'm from going and training, like, you know, on the bike, I might be an hour or two away, but I usually get up, cycle through my mobility. So um, right now a bit of shoulder strength Then I have my breakfast, pack all my gear, head off to the track, which is usually like about an hour and a half away, spend 
let's say three hours there training, doing drills, sprints, whatever I need to do, uh, come home, so by this point it's probably about four o'clock, wash up the bike, wash my gear, do some more stretching mobility, have dinner, chill out for about an hour and go to bed. I think you've got a great opportunity to branch into more of a mindset um, side of what you can offer as well. Yeah. To to younger to adults, but also younger people. I think so because it's something that I think has helped me a lot, and you don't realize until you talk to other people and stuff like that. And um, I think kind of. I've done, you know, journaling and stuff like that. You know, a lot of things is what, what the common question is, what would you tell yourself 10 years ago or tell your 16-year-old or 15-year-old self? And that's made me reflect on a lot of things. And that's like, I think, stuff I'd love to share with younger girls because I knew how I felt at the time. So I think I'd honestly really love to just chat to younger girls about how they're feeling. And that's, I do enjoy that part of my coaching too, like, you know, people put so much mm. pressure on themselves. I think they're not good enough or, you know, I used to think like I've got, I've got to do this so I don't get this annoying sponsorship. If I don't win this, it's not going to happen or this, 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 where I think sometimes if I had to kind of slow my process down a bit, it probably would have got me here a little bit quicker maybe. But in saying that, that was my pathway. Like, you know, it was made for a reason. It's taught me a lot. So um, I think not rushing the process is a massive thing. So when you're talking not rushing the process, are you talking about taking a step back and being more deliberate and mindful in regards to what you're targeting? Um, I, I'm making more about like I probably used to maybe like overtrain a bit or have such a high expectation or push too much in training. Like, okay, I need a knockoff. Like, for instance, we do lap times, five seconds a day instead of, say, one second, then I push too hard, then I might have an accident or things wouldn't go right, then I'd be really down for a while or things like that. Like I think if I had taken maybe smaller bite-sized goals at time, it might have possibly made the process a bit smoother than saying that's kind of how I am. Like I always strive so high and hard for what I want to do. So it's it's hard to say, but I think, you know, if I'm, when I'm coaching younger girls now or young males, anyone, no matter who it is, I just try to do those little bite-sized goals because they, you know, they come from, I want to jump this when they can't even stand up yet or can't do, you know, the basics yet. It kind of, it's so easy to see what you want that's so far away and not break it down into all those steps. And they're all little achievements that we easily surpass. And uh, that's the thing I've been terrible at too is actually recognizing my achievements and taking a moment to actually really pat yourself on the back like you did a great job like you actually just did this because it's so easy to you know with a season of racing you have like your state titles your regionals your your nationals that as soon as you do one race oh when that was sick oh my god start working with this next one you don't actually like sit back and like I just did that I did all my hard work paid off I really worked for this hard it's more of a kind of skipping to the next one like as soon as I finish say state titles this weekend I'm gonna be thinking about pre-season so and I'm going to make a conscious effort, no matter what, where it's all it is, to really take a moment to respect what I did, you know, because it hasn't been an easy path this year, I will say that. So um, there's a lot I could, I could talk for a long time about all the things I've kind of learned, and I think that would be a field I'd love to go into. What titles do you hold at the moment? Because you've got a few under your belt. Um, so I'm trying to think. I think I've won three or four state titles. I've won national titles to 
two two times queen of a max, two times had a desert race winner. Um, I've won some a Netherlands national. Um, I'm trying to think of, there's been a few here and there. <laughs> I've kind of blanked a bit, but yeah, I've won quite a few state titles and stuff like that. Where are you doing the desert races? Uh, in Hara, Mildura. Ah, mm. I was going to say, I have no idea where, where um, Hatter is. Okay, so Mildura. So how different is a desert race compared to doing something on the track? Well, to put it in perspective of speed, for instance, uh, on a motocross track, my average speed will be about 30, 40. My max speed might be 70. In the desert, my average speed is probably 80. My max speed is like 150. A lot different. Really fast. Yeah. And it's usually sand, yeah. like a lot of straight, fast, sandy, rough. You have to set up the bike quite a bit differently. And with desert racing, like, so a format for a motocross day would be like, you do like a 10 minute or 15 minute warm up. You have three, let's say, 20 minute races, 15 minute races for the day. In a desert race, you do your, we call it prologue the day before, where, you know, you do like a time trial and then it's where you're seated for the next day. And then for the race, it's a four hour race nonstop. So you have a camelback on hydration. You do pit stops. It's a it's a really different kind of um, it's almost like a marathon for racing. And they just keep running, running. They have their drink on the way. They keep running the whole. It's like that off for race for motorcycles, really. Which do you prefer? Um, probably motocross. Like desert's just kind of like I just kind of stumbled into a bit. Bit I love it. It's really fun. But motocross is like what I do. Um, probably a bit safer. I will say a little bit, a little, little less risk at times. Um, yeah, I would say motocross is just, yeah, I prefer it. Um, you're a bloody inspiration. I tell you what, I would not go anywhere near a bloody motorbike and here are you hooning around taking on the boys, getting taken out by them because they're so bloody jealous, <laughs> breaking backs, breaking collarbones, walking around in circles because your leg's shorter than the other. Just That's not true, everybody. But you know, like the the mindset to having to get back up all the time and battle to to get back to that elite spot, position of where you were at the top, like that takes a mindset that I probably I don't think that you are acknowledging. And that was where I was coming in from the mindset before. And you're kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, and I was like, I don't think you understand <laughs> just how rare that mindset, in all honesty, like are you laughing about it? But I don't think that you actually get it because it's hard enough being at an, like an, an, an elite athlete side of things, but then to maintain it and come back from serious injury time and time again, it does take a special type of brain to do that. Yeah, I don't know. I'm happy sitting in the couch, Em. So yeah. <laughs> I guess I haven't I haven't thought about it in that way. I guess it's. I know you haven't. <laughs> I know you haven't. <laughs> I guess it's when when you love something, you love it. You know, like it's, it's yeah. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's where I think that if you really sat back and analysed what you're doing differently and what drives you more than the next person that's not as successful and what you're doing differently, then that's where potentially you could take it into your coaching and your public speaking and stuff because that would be really, that's interesting to the lay person of me who sits on, on my ass on the couch and 
Netflix or Netflix? <laughs> well, I I think it just has a lot to do with um I think your life experiences too. Like I think in the back of yeah. my mind I know how much my parents sacrificed for me and how much they did for me. And I don't I don't think it's more I have a thing like of letting them down. I think it's more of like a I want to I I need to give back to them. Like I want to give back to them. I I want to make this pay off for them. I don't you know they put all their eggs in my basket and well I'm just gonna throw it away. Like I I have that you know I have that respect for them and also for myself you know. And I heard this quote. It's such a simple quote I heard the other year, but it's like you haven't come this far to only come this far, and it's so true. Like you know, you've worked so hard, you know, you just, you deserve to get what you want, you know, and you deserve those people, you know, I've had so many people help me, I think, you know, in times when I'm struggling with my own motivation, let's say, and thinking, oh, but I'm like, no, all these people are counting on you, the kids you coach, the, you know, your sponsors, your parents, you know, all these people are backing you because they believe in you, and because, you know, of what you're doing, so I, um, I think it's a lot that contributes to my mindset. I think I think when it comes to mindset, I think if you assess your whole situation, it makes it a little bit easier when you, you see all the positives. Uh, I think that's a big thing. Do you see it as a positive? Because that sounded like that was pressure externally to live up to others' expectations. Um, I, It's not pressure that's been put on me. It's, it's more like a... I think for myself, like, it's more of a – they've never said that to me. They say, you know, if you want to stop, you can stop. Like, what they always say to me, like, after I've had injuries, like, this is too much, you know, just – you don't have to do this. Like, it's just riding – there's more to life than riding bikes, so they say. Um, but it's more of a <laughs> – I think it's more of a respect thing that I – like, you know what, like, I want to prove to them and show them that they, you know – they've done this for the right reasons and you know I appreciate what they've done so much for me I think it's it's not a pressure thing it's more of a, um, an appreciation thing like I uh I think even racing aside that's the person I, am. I want to show people they're appreciated whether it's with you know cooking them a really nice meal and they come over or taking care of them or helping them where I can it's kind of how I am in life in general I think it kind of reflects in my racing a little bit You may not be one for verb- outwardly verbalizing them, but if you are, what would be the okay? I'm I'm hi- at I'm happy where I am in terms of either monetary or status or a title. Like, what would be the okay? Yeah, I've done enough to give back to to justify the faith that they put in me. I think monetary helping them with finances I think that would you know it's starting to get there and I want to take that pressure off them because they did put a lot into me like a you know mm. I don't even want to know how much they spent on me I don't know how much they spent on myself this year and they had two of me and my brother you know I'd be if I was my mum I'd be crying shaking my wallet out every week um, <laughs> I, I think yeah monetary helping them out and I think you know also They've always expressed what they think I'm capable of in a faith way. Like, you are so capable. Like, you can get this title. Like, you're more capable of being, you know, winning that national senior title, being on the world stage, you know, being a top five or all these kind of goals. And 
I believe in that as well and I think that's helped me because when I don't always believe in myself they kind of back that up so I think the monetary side was one and also getting those results that we've kind of been working for and yearning for you know your brother's still racing competitively he's just getting back in it now he had a bit of time off um but he's yeah back into it now does that mean that you're competing at the same level as him in the same races? Uh, so at state level, I'll be racing him. So this weekend, uh, I think I'm pretty sure he's competing. I'm not 100% certain yet, but if he is, we'll be racing the exact same race. Uh, in... Is he the one that's been taking you out? Ed? No. Is he the one that's been nudging you with it? <laughs> no, he's good. He's good to me. He's a, he's, a big, he's always been like, you know, definitely a big brother at the track. If you've seen people trying to nudge me, he's like, you know, gone giving them a bit of a nudge and like, don't you and get in my sister? And I'm like, yeah, Yay. don't touch me. Don't, yeah, <laughs> do what he said. <laughs> you know. So, so that's why you don't need to say anything to to them because yeah. he, he takes care of it. When he's there. When that's he's what there. We want. <laughs> that's what we want. Protecting big brothers. I love it. Yeah, yeah. So you are racing against him at state level. Yeah, and if it, yeah. I should be this weekend. I'm kind of excited. I know he's going to beat me. I'm going to try my best to be as fast as I can. <laughs> Why do you know that he's going to beat you? Um, well, his skill level. He's, um, he's, he's amazing. He was, you know, in the men's, he was always top three nationally. And he's still, you know, at training, he's lap, the lap times don't lie. His lap times are faster than mine. So I'm trying, I'm getting closer. But the facts are he's, he's faster than me. <laughs> okay, so it might be you nudging him out of the race slightly. Maybe or getting a better start and trying to block maybe. <laughs> I love it. You're an absolute bloody legend. I take my hat off to you. Anything, Anyone that does anything as dangerous as you and, and loves it and pursues their dreams, I, I tell you what, I have a huge amount of respect for and I wish you all the best in terms of your career and um, taking the sport to the next level. Thanks for coming on, Em. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on. Thanks for taking a moment to listen, everyone. We hope this episode inspired you as much as it did us. If you know somebody who also needs a little inspiration, then please share this podcast with them. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your fave podcast app and rate and review us because that helps inspire us to keep making them. 